Oh, good morning to all. Um, this morning we're looking at um, some serious and sort of mon- more mundane issues. And um, I'm wanting to have a look today about leadership. And um, the, the call to leadership is something that God places on every one of us. Um, but talking about it is... Um, not as thrilling. It's a bit like in the book of Acts. It's so wonderful to read the book of Acts. But then when you have a look at the book of Timothy, which we're looking at today, it sounds a lot more mundane. But the issues of leadership are the things which churches stand and fall on. And it's the, it's the day-to-day grind and the day-to-day success of leadership which produces the growth which um, Christ wants to see in our lives and in our churches. So we want to have a look at... Um, aspiring to leadership and we're going to look at um, 15 verses from 1st Timothy chapter 3 and I won't be able to look at every every part of that but we'll um, have a look at some key ideas from this. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he would not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience and they must first be tested and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women of respect, worthy of respect, not malicious talkers but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. Although I hope to come to you soon, so Paul is writing to Timothy, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we have come because we want to hear your voice. We want to give you the honour that's due 
And Lord, that we want to be the people you want us to be. So we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and that we would be willing and responsive hearers. For we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I, um, on a footy training, we um, had our AGM for the football club. And um, basically, I think the job of the leaders of the AGM, uh, the, the leadership of the football club, um, organised a lot of the, um, the uh, bar after the football. The, they do a lot of work um, on um, preparing various functions. And um, some of the guys spoke to me before, the, before training and says, oh, Russ, we've got the AGM on... Um, this, uh, after after footy training, you've been here for about 15 years in the footy club. Maybe it's the time um, you put your hand up and um, took a time of serving. And um, I, I thought, that's the last thing I need is another job. So um, shame upon me. What I did was straight after footy training, rather than go in to the... Um, to the AGM, I hightailed out of there and made sure that nobody suggested my name um, would be put up for for the um, uh, committee leading the the football club. So, um, when it comes to leadership in the church, I think that's about what we see a lot. Um, we see a lot of people when it comes to who likes to, who would like to serve in the church, who would like to take a leadership position. Often people um, have far more important things to do in their minds, and um, it leads to a constant problem in the church. And that is, as Jesus said, the, la- the harvest is plentiful, but the workers. A few, and it's to the strange situation where um, of the need for leaders, um, the reticence of people to put their hands up if they're actually the sort of people you would want, and the overwillingness of some people who should never be put into leadership to put their hands up and offer themselves for service that. That Paul addresses um, in this issue. He's writing to Timothy, and Timothy has to appoint leaders and help the church to to vote and put good leaders into place. He particularly is talking about the key leadership positions of um, what we call the church offices and he's talking about elders and deacons and one of the the reason I'm speaking on this today is because um, we've just started the process if you're a member in the church here you would have got a little note to saying that we're looking for people to suggest names for the nominating committee and I'm sure you're all thrilled to get that note and I'm sure I actually some people answered it immediately. This is absolutely fantastic. Now the job of the nominating committee is to pray, to have a look around the people in the church who are who are suitable, 
um, to appoint them for, uh, to nominate them to be elected as elders and deacons in the church. And so they've got to have a look around, see if they can get people who are of the right quality and people who are willing. And so we want to have a look at particularly um, at Paul's instructions to Timothy about the sort of people that should be um, lifted up and honoured with the position of elders and deacons. Now, um, the passage doesn't actually describe those positions. Um, Paul just says that um, Timothy is to to, uh, find suitable men who would be elders and deacons. Now, what's the job of an elder? What's this position? He actually calls them overseers. If you've got some translations, I'll call it um, bishops. Um, But the word is overseer. Um, And the from a, I won't take us through, but if we have a look at some of the passage in Scripture, we'll see that an overseer and an elder or a bishop and even a shepherd in the church are the same people. That what happens is every local church in um, the New Testament, the, the process was that once the church was established, um, the people who planted them, the apostles, would then look for the, in the church to find some older men. How old doesn't say, but some older men, mature men, who would oversee the church. They would be the leaders in the church. And their job was to direct the church in the way it goes, to govern the church, to care for the people in the church, and to to provide the teaching of about Christ and the gospel to those churches, so they could so that they could raise these um, new believers up in the faith, so that they can become um, mature, stable, solid, faithful Christians. And um, they also had to appoint a, sep- a second group of officers, the main leadership in the church, which were deacons. And I'll have a look at this in a moment. Also, I think it also includes deaconesses. A group of um, the elders were men. The deacons were um, a combination of both men and women. And their job was men who could um, l- make decisions about the practical matters of the church. Um, they were focusing on the material aspects of the church, their, their possessions, um, about take, collecting the money, making sure the money in the church was dealt with well, and to distribute that to the various um, things, which the, all the bills that the church had to pay, and also to distribute it to those who were in need. And so had two main offices were established in the local churches in the New Testament. Now, just want to mention the little one about deacons because in one of the jobs we want the, um, the nominating committee and later us as a church to, uh, when we vote on elders, we vote on, um, we only allow men because the scripture only, only speaks of male elders. Um, and, but for deacons, um, I think 
the, the cinema has taken the position that deacons can also be deaconesses. Now, if you would have noticed in that passage, it said wives. The, the verse in verse 11, it actually doesn't say wives. It says women must likewise be dignified. And um, just quickly, I think there's five, I've just got quick five reasons why I think it's women and the first one is it actually doesn't say uh, the word women and wives are the same word in, um, in Greek. So it's just a word called gunakes, just means woman. And you tell from the context or whether it's got a there or a your in front of a woman if, it's, if it means wives. So in this passage, it doesn't have um, their wives. It just says women. And um, what you see if you, as we read through the context, it says that... Um, it uh, it actually gives particular qualifications for these women, and it seems very strange to me if um, he's actually requires deacons, wives to read a certain standard, but not elders. There's nothing said about elders' wives, so I'm quite sure that Peter, but Paul is referring here to um, to the deacons because. Um, a deacon is a lower, a material, um, more material, um, not spiritual focused ministry. And so it'd be very strange that the deacons' wives needed to meet a certain standards, but nothing is said of the, of, for the elders' wives. And it also says in verse, the third reason is that, is that these, um, these women are are to be likewise dignified or likewise worthy of respect, and so it seems quite clear to me reading for passage that what Paul is saying is is that um, he's addresses deacons generally. Then he goes and says, um, if if it's a woman. The woman needs to meet the same standards because she's called to the same function. And um, the the final point, number five, is that is it um, what happens on the main, probably the most important reason why I think it's addressing as women deacons is is that Paul follows up this extra bit about what. Um, qualifications a woman should have, particularly due to the issue of gossip, which is not very politically correct, in that he signals out women of being um, likely to be gossips. Um, he then returns to describe extra ones for the men deacons, and he goes and talks about them having to be um, faithful to their wife and to rule their family well. So for those reasons, I think... Um, the office of deacons is able to be a woman. And so as our nominating committee goes and when we vote on that, on, on um, deacons, um, we will be looking not just for men, for our deacons, but for women. Uh, a second point I want to bring to us from this passage is, is that Paul talks um, about the calling to leadership. And he says it's a, he actually starts off quite funny. He says, it's, it's, it's a faithful saying worthy of full acceptance that he who desires to serve as an overseer um, desires a good work. And um, 
The word here, good work, is, like the NIV translation, it says, a noble task. Um, Paul combines the office of leadership in a church, um, two words, noble and a task. And the idea here is when we, when we are called to leadership in a, ch- in a church, we're not called to something which is, is degrading. We're called to something which is noble, something which um, should be honoured. So that's why I wear a coat. Because I want to say, well, I'm the pastor of the church and so I've got a, a noble profession. I'm called to serve and so I'm not, I haven't worn you know, my ragged clothes. So no, this is an important and a, a function which I'm engaged in a church leader and it deserves to be respected and honoured. It's an honourable, noble thing. But at the same time, it's, a, it's work. It's hard work. Um, and the higher up a person goes in leadership, the, the heavier the load is. And so leadership is a call not to just being praised by people. It's, call, it's a call to serving, sacrificing. Um, it's a call to um, suffering. It's a call to a hard task and that's part of the ambivalence and why when people say who wants to who wants to step up and be a leader everyone goes "Mm, I don't want to step up and be a leader because I know that leadership requires sacrifice and hard work but Paul concludes um his instructions about deacons and elders, elders and deacons, with the idea that um, we should aspire to it because the one who serves in leadership um, receives a tremendous honour and blessing. He actually mentions in verse 13, he says, those who lead well, Hey, if you don't do a good job, it doesn't stand. But if you lead well, if you accept the responsibility of leaders, leadership and you do it well, he, Paul says, you gain an excellent standing among men. Now, we all want to be honoured. We all want it to be praised. And um, in Stepping up and taking upon ourselves the call to leadership, we, we receive honour and praise for men. Now, if that's all that we want, it's not good. But it is a good thing to want to be honoured by people. But Paul says another thing, and it's actually quite surprising. He says they also gain great assurance in their faith. So when a person steps up to leadership, when they embrace the, the noble task, Paul says that they get great assurance in their faith. Now, it's, it's amazing. If, if we just sit doing nothing, 
not taking responsibility, just sit back and allow others to do the stuff and we don't aspire to service and to leadership, what happens is something in us that we feel unworthy. We feel that we don't really deserve and we don't have a a confidence. But when we step up, when we rise to the challenge of leadership, suddenly it gives us um, a, a great assurance of our faith. Now, you you see that um, epitomised, I think, in just a a great verse in 2 Timothy, where Paul, um, looking like he's about to die, he says, I have um, finished the course. I have kept the faith. And he goes on and says, Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness that God will give to those who have served him. And so Paul expresses in, in in this passage in 2 Timothy this great assurance that he has because he has served well that he will be welcomed because his faith has been tested And he knows that his faith has stood the test of time. And he knows that also, as a result of his service, Christ will honour him. And so um, the calling to leadership is, is a call to rise, to be respected from people. But it also gives this internal assurance that yes... Christ will receive me because my my faith has been put through and it's been tested and shown to be genuine and I have kept the, the, um, the faith through the difficulties and problems and sweat and blood of, of leadership. And so Paul writes these to encourage people to accept the challenge of leadership. In other words aspiration to aspire to leadership is far better than avoidance. True, and we'll have a look at that in the next point, there are some people whose aspiration is perverted and there's aspects of it that need to be rejected because all they want is honour but they don't want to serve and they don't want to meet the responsibilities and the, and the character and sacrifice that results. They just want to be honoured. But um, Paul is saying, look, yes, aspiration can be wrong, but I want you nevertheless to aspire to serve me and to to serve Christ well. Now, the final thing about the calling to leadership is is that um, leaders, um, as Paul writes, are... Um, are are to be models of what God wants for each one of us. Paul writes that I'm writing these things so that you will know how people should conduct themselves in the household of God. His point being is, is that he wants Timothy to take the church through the process of, of, of electing and appointing elders and deacons 
and he wants them to appoint the men of this sort of quality so that as leaders they can show how people should behave as people of Christ. And so the, the key role of leaders is not just to serve but to model mature Christian living. He wants us to be um, in leadership the sort of person that others who aren't yet leaders should aspire to be. And so the calling to leadership is a call to seek character and also to seek to be skilled, to seek to be to be to learn the qualifications and skills we need in order to serve people well. Now, just thought I'd mention at this point is, is that the EDAC purpose statement is this, to bring people to Christ in all his fullness, to help them to grow in their faith so that they'll become worshipping members in their family, develop Christian maturity, and so that they are equipped for ministry in the church and fulfil their great their part in the Great Commission in order to magnify God's holy name. In a... In, in brief, what it's saying is our desire as a church to see people rise to a, as great a service and leadership role as they can. That's our desire for you, is that you would rise to as high a leadership and role and service in the church as you can. And so that's... Um, what Paul wants us to do. Um, the final point I want to bring to us is the, the character of church leaders. Um, as we look through these qualifications of elders and deacons, what we see is, is that the emphasis is not on skills. The emphasis is not on things that they can do. It does, it's not on looks. Hallelujah. It's, it's not uh, about qualifications. It's not that a person in Le- who's, who's going to be an elder or deacon doesn't need their skills. Obviously, the sort of people we look for have got to have some, some what we call leadership skills and, and specialised abilities. But the whole focus of the passage is on godliness. In other words, to, uh, to serve in the church, the, the critical thing which um, is needed is people who would be like Jesus um, in good measure. And um, what we see in this is, if you, I'll encourage you to have a look and carefully look at the descriptions of elders and deacons. Elders, which are looking at leadership, leadership of the whole church, um, their, their standards of, of conduct and behaviour, their moral qualities and character are to be higher. So the, the higher the leadership position, the greater the sacrifice and service, but also the higher the, the need for a godly character. And that's why um, 
Paul finishes this chapter with um, this thing, great is the mystery of godliness, and he looks to Jesus, and he describes how God became a man and dwelt among us in Jesus, and we saw his, the wonders of, of Jesus, because he said, well, the call to leadership is a call to, to emulate the character of Christ. And so the first responsibility and the the important one is if you aspire to leadership, you must aspire to godliness. Not for fun, not for adulation. The thing you must understand is the first and foremost qualification of leaders is is that you have a, a standard of character and morality but you are morally enough like Christ that you will not bring Christ's name into disrespect. And so we see, for instance, in this is that elders... Um, when actually the one thing where it talks about an ability, it says elders are able to teach. Now, the phrase here is a little bit sort of more meaningful than able to teach. It says they, it says they know the faith, they understand the faith, and they're able to impart it. They're able to, to um, inspire and teach others about the faith which they believe and they follow. Whereas for deacons, it says deacons just need to keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. So a deacon has to be, um, you know, not a heretic, not, so, not, not hold some weird, weird ideas, but um, there's, it's a lesser standard here. And we, go, we see that um, throughout the list is that the elders are called to a, highest, a higher moral character than the deacons, because there's a greater responsibility for those who teach and lead the whole church than those who manage the material and financial aspects of the church. Now, I just want to mention just um, a couple of things, because as we're um, seeking to elect elders, there's some couple of things which do cause confusion. Um, First one is above reproach. It says elders are to be above reproach. Deacons are slightly lesser, worthy of respect. Now, the idea in leadership is a leader is not perfect. Would you believe that? In fact, a calling to leadership is a calling to realise how unperfect you are. And the calling to leadership is, is a calling for people to actually point out all your faults on a regular basis. The calling to leadership is a call to, to have your um, rough edges knocked off by criticism, by the consequences of, of those in, in your ministry, how it affects it. So the idea of above reproach is that nobody is it saying nobody can justly disqualify you and really criticise you. You're going to be criticised, but um, the criticism is is someone in, in a glass house throwing stones. 
The idea is above reproach is is you, you stand above others. You're not the, not that you're perfect. You've you've matured to a greater level. And the idea of worthy of respect for a deacon is not that um, a person should never be criticised and have some problems, but they're they've. Um, become enough like Jesus that people should be able to respect them for their character and and their work, even if they're not perfect. And so the second thing is, is so we're not looking for perfect people. We're looking for people who have met a mature standard. Um, the final thing here is it says here, elders and deacons, both of them are to be exactly the same term, the husband of one wife. Now, um, some people get from that that any, once, as soon as a person is divorced or a person who's single um, um, is, no, is not able to be qualified. Um, now, that's pushing a little bit beyond what it means. It literally says it's a one-woman man. A deacon or an elder need to be one-woman men. What that means is that you need to be the person who honours marriage and that you are not running from one woman to another and so on. But it could mean a person is faithful to his second wife. In other words, he could be a divorcee. He could even be single. He aspires to be a husband of one wife. But um, those sorts of things, for instance, a single person or a divorcee, um, we need to take a little bit extra care in nominating those to um, the offices. So to conclude, and I've already gone over, I can't believe that, um, just want to bring us three applications. Um, hey, when it comes to the politics, the leadership of, of rising up, choosing, appointing and leading, um, stuff that people talk about politics, hey, it's wonder, much more wonderful just to be singing and praising the Lord and be praying. Actually, leadership inquires a lot of those. But um, we need to understand that part of Christian maturity and part of a mature church is that we engage in the process of appointing leaders. If we don't engage in it, then we might get the bad leaders that we deserve. And we will know who, it's the people who often who don't engage who are the first to criticise now, the second thing is, is that we should expect, expect growing moral and doctrinal accountability. Now, there's a large thing. Oh, we hate religion, but, you know, uh, in our world. We don't like to be, we don't like the, the formal aspects of religion. But you need the structures as well as the flesh to make a body. 
You've got to have them. We don't want it all structure, but we need those. There needs to be moral accountability and doctrinal accountability. For instance, when we baptise a person, we want to know that they've actually committed to Jesus. And we, want to, we don't ask, great, we say, do you believe in Jesus? Have you, have you turned from your sin and you want to follow him? If they say, yes, all right, well, that, you've met that standard, we'll baptise you. But then when we want to allow people to have a position in the church and to to have a say in the church, we want them to be members. Why? Because if you're some crazy heretic and your life is a disgusting example of a true follower of Christ, we don't want you to have a say in, in how the church should be run and who should be leading it. So in other words, we have baptism and then when we want to have, allow people to have a say in the church, we set a standard, a higher standard. Now, um, if you want to be a pastor in a, in a church, you have, to be, uh, you have to have a lot higher standards of character and doctrinal things. So um, we expect in the church that as we take positions, there must be an, a growing moral and doctrinal accountability. And the final thing is, is um, we should embrace the opportunity to serve Christ and his church. We're not, none of us are perfect. We go in, a, the, the, when we serve Christ, we, we are most aware of our shortcomings. But serving Christ in leadership is a noble task with tremendous rewards and we should make sure that we're the sort of person um, who is following Christ and we are we are sincere honest and faithful and obedient people but we need not be the ones like nearly every leader in the Bible says here here I am Lord send somebody else like Moses here I'm Lord send Aaron but we want to be like Isaiah who says, when God said, who, who will go? Who will serve? Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. Send me. Let's pray. Father, we just pray as a church we want good leaders. Lord, we are always struggling for leaders. People who would step up and take the responsibility and the work and the, 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 the standards, embracing the standards which come from taking a position of leadership. Father, we pray that we would have the right heart and that we would be people who desire to be who we should be and to rise to the challenge of serving your church. For we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.